Hey, movie machine fans, this is Kyle here, your uh, executive producer of Hot Chocolate Media. We want to make sure to get an episode out to you this week because we love you as fans, but we couldn't get guests and short notice of the holiday season. So Jacob and I did a little fun thing where we created a couple fake uh, movie review personalities and listed our top films of the year that were made on the movie machine like they were real. Uh, If you liked it, let us know. If you didn't like it, let us know. If there's anything else, if you want to hear more from uh, Cowboy Keith and Who Not Beginnis, that may be something we can explore if you really liked it. But we'd really like to know what you think of it. Also, let your friends know about the podcast. Send them links to it. We really rely on word of mouth. We don't ever want to do advertisements on the show if we can avoid it. So let your friends know. Share links. And please, 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 on whatever service you use, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, etc., give us a a rating. Those star ratings help the magical metrics of us move up the list so more people can find our show. There you got it. Enjoy the uh, review show from two Southern gentlemen film critics, and I hope you like it. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and whatever you celebrate. Thank you. Joyous candle nights. Tune into another episode in the Cowboy Keith's Cinema Rodeo. How's that sound to you out you out there? That sounds amazing. Well, I'm this is a very special episode today. It's our year in review, and good old Cowboy Keith has brought in one of his favorite people in the whole world, one of the best film critics on the planet. Hoopnot McGinnis. How you doing, Hoopnot? Well, I'm doing fine this evening. I'm uh, delighted to be here and hoping we can find some wonderful films to discuss. Well, that's right. So, Hoopnot, you know, so technology is an amazing thing. I don't always begin to understand it, but Hollywood came up with that magical movie machine thingamabobber thing that just, you know, kind of whomper jawed the entire Hollywood system, right? And we're here to talk about our favorite movies to come out of this new Hollywood movie machine. We each have our top five list. I don't know what Hoopnot's going to talk about, so I'm excited to see what tickled his fancy. But here we go. Number five from your very own Cowboy Keith, The Dark Side of Excalibur. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, friend, but this, this film stars both Arnold Schwarzenegger and JCVD. Is that it, right? It is a tour de force my friend, of action stars from the 80s who look a little bit like old leather catcher's mitts. But that doesn't stop them from being awesome, y'all. Am I right or am I wrong? And they up the cute factor. They put a pug in there, too. They just follows them around and looks adorable. And they, I think they put them in a little suit or two. This is an interesting movie. It's made by relative newcomers I've never heard of. The writer and director, two different people, same name. Written by Harry Bath, directed by Harry Bath. But they're two different people. And in a strange bit of coincidence, the producer was named Teddy Bath, no relation. That but, is curious, yes. But the film is a, well, I mean, it's not going to win any awards for any quality, but man, this is a rip-roaring good time. I haven't had that much fun since I went to the water park with one of them pieces of spandex just stapled right to my butt. Go down the slide and and Mach 3, if you know what I mean. It's an alternate dimension King Arthur story. It's King Arthur in space. Right. Now, when I reviewed this film, I I gave it the review four out of five barbells. And that's, you know, it's a complex system 
that I create for each film. But I thought that really captured the the sense of, of scale and the sense of machismo in this film. And I think that would be uh, the appropriate rating for this one. Oh, and I, I really, it's my top five, and I, I rated it a uh, four out of five State Fair Kettle Corns. It's just, you, everyone knows my system. It's great. Here we go. So, uh, Hoopnot, what was your number five? My number five is going to be To the Horizon. Now, this is uh, sort of a live-action Japanese animation, if you will. You know, from the Japan area. And uh, though I'm not well-versed in, in all of the ins and outs of that whole thing, it was quite the wild ride. Adventures through space and with aliens. Uh, political struggles over planetary control. Very, very interesting. And uh, the soundtrack, I believe, was by a, a popular Japanese group. Uh, some, some dancing girls and some loud guitars. Yep, they're called Baby Metal, and you all, ah, you yes. may not have heard of Baby Metal, but you heard Baby Metal as their hit single from this film, their baby metal cover of The Power of Love by Huey Lewis in the News. That's right. That's got right. over 20 million views on YouTube, so I'm guaranteeing some of you out there watch it. And by some of you, I mean all you. Right. Now, now correct me. I'm, I'm not familiar as much with this band as you are, it seems. Are there any babies in this band? I, I believe they're just uh, barely post-pubescent Japanese girls. I see, I see. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part of this movie for your friends is it stars as the alien, everyone's sexy fish man, Doug Jones himself, with another performance for the ages in 14 pounds of makeup and latex. Right, right. The standard fare for Mr. Jones. Yeah. He has three arms in this one, which is something kind of new for him, but man, did he make it work. So that was uh, To the Horizon, number five from Oobnot. What's your number four, HB? My number four is going to be Father Issues. Now, this myself is a film I wouldn't necessarily call the best, but it did hit a resounding note with uh, some of the themes that I I think I've experienced in my life and uh, the, the grandchildren just... Ate it for lunch. They, you know, they went dressing on the top and just dove right in with two hands at a time. This is a hot woman family sort of film uh, about a a priest who is is trying to, you know, save the the youth of his congregation. A bit standoffish and doesn't quite know how to relate, but eventually gets in with this, this group of kids and they're able to you know find find a sense of community and there's you know a lot of mouthing off to the elders which the kids these days find most enjoyable and i think that's uh you know a, a fun bit for the the kiddos and uh, the message is good as well keep your your family and your community close and it, it spawned a, a a franchise of something i never thought possible it's like different sport after different sport and none of them's football if i remember or maybe one was they kind of all bleed together but they're all enjoyable just pick a father issues film and you're set if i remember right they they held out on the the rights for the football film because they wanted to get an additional deal after the initial set that's right and who would have thought we'd have a 
family-friendly fr- franchise anchored by David Harwood himself. That man does not scream bleeding man, but dadgummit, he pulled it off. He does play a very stiff, sort of standoffish fellow quite well. I yeah. think that uh, worked for the character. Exactly. Now, what about you? What, Keith, tell me, what was your number four? Well, number four, you know I'm a sucker for action franchises, and I got with probably my favorite entry of the year. We all know that one of the greatest action franchises of all time is the Triple X franchise, and this year's second entry after State of the Union was one of the best. Triple X United We Sand. Now, I thought this one was a bit weird because uh, after Xander Cage returned, you thought he'd stick around, but he took off again. Instead, they, they cast Orlando Bloom himself as the lead, but with a set, uh, with a uh, controversial in some, but I thought it was refreshing, a love interest in Lenny Kravitz himself. Wow. Well, now, to be honest with you, I, I have not seen this film. Is it is it true that they replaced the, the gentleman in the lead role several times? I understand it was Drake and Pitbull and... Uh, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, or not Harry Dean, Harry Dean Morgan. I, the, the guy from The Walking Dead, he was in there at one point. Uh, Pitbull was in there at one point, I think. But Pitbull, I think he had his minor race. The movie machine teleported him around a bit, and Pitbull was never in it. However, the most lasting cultural impression of this film, and I think people will be listening to this album today, I, I honestly think this is like the Beatles' Revolver album. And that's the soundtrack for this film, which was a Pitbull-Kesha collaboration. Like I said, I think this is Revolver of this generation. This is music that's going to go down in history. And that's why it sits on my list as uh, four and a half biscuits on a plate of gravy. Well, I'll have to check it out. Although I must admit, I'm not much of a fan of the Kesha. Not everyone's fan of cannibals, I understand it, but that's how it goes. We'll go right in with my number three. Now, this is going to be a controversial pick all the way at number three. Because some people say it was nothing but the most magical... Well, I'd say it's the most magical marking ploy of all time that also gave us some avant-garde comedy gold. And others say it was in just a mess of comedy that didn't work for anyone. And that is the short version most people know is Cosmic Party is with Chris. Oh, yes. But it, yes. it's full version, I believe. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, HB. The full title is Cosmic Party with Chris, brought to you by Coca-Cola, featuring backup vocals by Christina Aguilera. Please don't download this film film on YouTube for free. And do not upload this to YouTube for free. Yes. That's, yeah. So, this is Christopher Walken himself in an alien suit, our second alien of the day. Which he made himself. He, he made himself out of mildly toxic insulation. And this is where it's Cosmic Party of Chris. This is, oh, I love this casting. Christopher Walken, Christian Slater, and Chris Pratt. Triple Chris threat, if you will. It is the strangest most amazing it is xanadu of 2017 but only if xanadu was good that description is is quite accurate i think you know and christopher walken i I don't know what what he brought to this performance but something about it was was rather striking was it not it was some sort of you know wild untamable energy that was pouring out of him like a a gaping wound yeah I, i i think it was the uh the hot, he, he got, I'm pretty sure he got really lit off the foam suit he made. It was some kind of 1950s toxic space age foam they 
gives people cancer, but first it makes them go a little crazy. Right. But Christopher Walken's rich, so he's able to cure cancer, no problem. But some are calling this Citizen Kane of the 21st century. They think it's a movie that is processes and all, because it reinvented cinema with its tie-ins to Coca-Cola and YouTube. And its lasting impression, Pepsi-Cola just declared Chapter 31 bankruptcy just last week as a result of this film and the success that it brought to Coca-Cola. And you can never discount a film that completely reshapes the soft drink industry. I know that for sure. I understand. Now tell me, where did this fall on the Cowboy Keith scale? On the Cowboy Keith scale, I'll give this four and a half rodeo clowns. Alright, I put myself at 8.5 out of 10 forehead ridges. I, I, I see this movie's going to cling on for you for a while there, That's right, <laughs> partner. That's right. So what's your number three, HB? My number three is going to be the final page. Now, this film is one that has seen some mixed reviews, but I myself enjoyed it quite a bit. Now, this stars Idris Elba and Anna Kendrick. Uh, and they are the, the last guardians of knowledge of this post-apocalyptic world. And, of course, they're going up against everyone's favorite diesel man, Vin. So I think I think this one was just a blast. You know, the action was beautiful. The the violence was chilling and exciting in the most fun ways. Unique, not necessarily original in terms of concept, but it boy was it just fun the whole way through. What what I loved about it, if you will, my friend, is uh, Vin Diesel. This is fun fact. This is why Vin Diesel couldn't do Triple X. United We Stand. He was busy off in the, the desert somewhere filming this thing. This is Conan the Barbarian of the 21st century, but it lacks a male gaze. And, you know, it's 2017. Our films with half-naked barbarian people should lack a male gaze. And we got to stare at Idris Elba's bare chest as much as anyone else, and that was amazing. In fact, I think Anna Kendrick had more square footage of fabric on her body than Mr. Elba had for the whole film. It was an amazing action film from beginning to end, and I was thrilled. It was a real page-turner, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean, and I agree. One more thing that's uh, interesting about this one, there was a, a song that was in this film that Idris Elba refuses Anna Kendrick singing throughout the movie, and at the very end, as he is, spoilers ahead, as he is passing, he asks her to sing it for him, and that, that moment really tied the whole thing together. Not a dry eye in the theater right, when, I, exactly, when exactly. my screening there, Fred. So, uh, yeah, I'd say uh, this one's going to fall approximately 600,438 out of 1,000,000 grains of sand. All right, and I give it 17 and a half D12s. All right. All right, so. What's your number three? Uh, my number three? Well, we, that was Cosmic Party with Chris. What's your number two? That's all right. We're we're in this. This is just all for fun. You're in a rap. Ain't that right, HB? <laughs> this is, we all know, my predilection towards action movies here. This was my favorite, starring Chung Yao Fat, Dakota Fanning, Bow Wow, He Ain't Little No More, and the Jedi Master himself, Mark Hamill. We, of course, are talking about Mojo Dojo. Now, I myself did not care for this film, but I will uh, I will cede your time to you if you have some things you'd like to say about it. Well, I will say this is the prettiest film of the year. You can tell the director of photography said, This plot is thin as a gravy made in a Yankee diner, right? And it was. But man, did they... They had so many helicopters and crane shots, and they had the best cameras. 
Film students will be studying this film for decades just for the cinematography alone, and they brought in the best stunt crews ever. The stunts, the wire work, everything. This is the most beautiful martial arts film, and it's all done with this hyper-realistic, stylist, stylized, steampunk cowboy. There's a dancing cowboy in this goddamn movie. Who's There's a dancing cowboy, and Chung Yao Fat punches four ninjas into a zeppelin. How can you not like a movie that has Chow Young Fat punching ninjas into a zeppelin well to be honest it reminded me a lot of bulletproof monk and that there was a lot of kind of awkward things that seemed a bit sort of asian in mystique but very white in play but, but the difference is bulletproof monk had terrible cgi you could see at the seams and this was a beautiful masterpiece of post-production and and stunt work Yes, but this film had Bow Wow in it. Which yeah, and the director... Did, between Sean William Scott and Bow Wow. I, well, that's why the director, uh, Kyle Decker, he did the most amazing thing ever. He put a mask on Bow Wow, and Bow Wow never spoke the whole movie. I'm almost positive that the studio made him put Bow Wow in there to sell some tickets. So what the director did, what any smart director does, you take an untalented ass clown and make sure their, t their lack of talent doesn't hit their movie. You put him in a cool mask and you have him punch things. Into a Zeppelin! Well, agree to disagree. Now, where, where did this fall on the Cowboy Keith scale? Oh, on the Cowboy Keith scale, this song mentioned 10 out of 10 bloody retro-futurist conventions. All right, all right. I ranked this one myself at 4 out of 9 buffets. Well, it's okay to be wrong sometimes, HB. What's your number two? My number two is going to have to be Robin Hood Returns. Uh, now, this film is sort of uh, an ironic, hipstery, weird comedy that all takes place in a Costco, uh, or an Aldi maybe, where uh, Robin Hood is unfrozen <laughs> oh, from God. a case of Fago and has to battle against the descendant of uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham. I got to tell you, Nick Offerman delivers an incredible performance as Robin Hood. It's, it's completely wild. It's completely unfaithful and irreverent to the myth uh, in a way that's extremely satisfying. I, I very much enjoyed it. Rebel Wilson uh, is, is replaced early on in the production by Aubrey Plaza. And, Which uh, brings back everyone's favorite, Ron Swanson. Aubrey Plaza, I don't remember her character from that show, but that show, Parks April. and Rec, was April. April Ludgate. Brings in that, that Parks and Rec reunion everyone didn't know they wanted, but they want... Oh, man, their chemistry is real on screen. And this, this movie, it's got some chuckles. Just like 1980s, 1980s G.I. Joe, it's got a chuckles, right? But uh, it's just weird. Like, this is just like hipsters gone full decaf mochaccino latte with almond milk. Like, they never leave the damn Costco. They're, are they playing make-believe? Is Nick Offerman a mental patient? Is he really Robin Hood? I'm not usually one to ask my movies to be spoon-fed, but damn, this one doesn't even come with an instruction manual. It's, it's definitely not something that's for everyone, but if, if you find yourself enjoying uh, films like Napoleon Dynamite or... Uh, FDR American badass. I think you'll you'll dig this one. And I will say for those of you who are hooting and hollering for your dose of British comedy, it does also have some uh, a minor role, but he's prominent enough. It's more than a cameo by Mr. Bean himself, Rowan Atkinson. Right, right. So so get your goofy, irreverent. I mean, I'm just glad they didn't soil it with Michael Sarah. It went so hipster. I thought they would. So I will give them. Uh, 
three and a half flannel shirts out of five for not putting Michael Sarah in this song, bitch. You're right. So this is this one for me is thirteen out of fifteen feathers in your hat. All right. And now, ladies and gentlemen, without much ado, everyone's favorite, my number one film of the year. Drum roll, please. Flash Fire. This this is an amazing film. Carl Urban and Jay Baruchel, everyone's favorite, put upon nerdy dweeb and the most delightful, the most beautiful, Marissa Tomei, and of course, Isla Fisher. Now, this movie is a mobs movie set in the Pacific Northwest with uh, Carl Urban playing a gritty mountain man who can gut a deer at the same time order room service. He's a man, he's a former mob assassin brought back into it by Jay Baruchel, and they team up to kill the whole goddamn mob. Now, fun fact, you movie listeners out there, don't go watch the American version of Flashfire. This one, Flashfire was taken upon by the studio. That ain't their director's edit. The true C. Robert Cargill director's cut was only released in Canada, or Canada for those of you south of the border, and is known as Flint and Tender, which is the name of the character, much better, and it has the actual director's cut. If you can get your hands on a Canadian Blu-ray of Flint and Tender, you, myself, friends, are in for a feast better than a made-from-scratch chicken fried steak. That does sound delightful. Now, I have seen both of the American versions of this, and I, I, I do admit there are, there are some problems, but I, I did enjoy it as well. I think Marissa Tomei is the, the real hero of the, the show. She's quite compelling as this, you know, powerful, extremely manipulative, but very, very intriguing mob boss. I, I think that she kind of keeps the show rolling the whole way through, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's incredibly well acted. Some really witty dialogue, and man, the action sequences are just truly amazing. I give this one seventeen backwoods hobo shacks out of seventeen. I gave this one fifty-five out of seventy-five LL Bean jackets. Uh, all right, so HB Hoobnot Beginnis, the man himself. What was your number one movie machine film? of the year. My number one, drum roll please. My number one was The Last Days of Lincoln. Now this film is an independent piece and I'm afraid not everybody saw it because it didn't return. It only released in like 20 theaters, right? Right, yeah. Uh, Now Christopher Guest plays uh, an actor who is writing and is starring in this play uh, about the the final days of Lincoln and is very much unsatisfied with his life, hasn't made it, and hatches a scheme to uh, kill himself in this last performance. Very dark, very uh, brutal comedy, and he's uh, eventually backs out of it, but due to circumstance ends up having to do it anyway. It's, it's a dark comedy. It's a very deep and layered with uh, a lot of uh, humor and darkness and uh, having, having grown up in the theater myself, there's uh, a lot of subculture there that's very true to life and very exciting to see on screen. And I think uh, Christopher, he just delivers a, a masterclass performance, one for the ages, uh, definitely an Oscar snub. Well, I, I know, well, did he get snubbed? Man, I'd be angrier than a cowboy with extra small chaps if I got snubbed for that performance. That was a performance for the ages that people will be talking about forever. What would you rank Last Days of Lincoln, who not? That would be 17 out of 17 stovepipe hats. 
All right, I'll give it six fingers out of six fingers on a six-fingered man. So there's our top fives, if you will. But no, what's that sound? That's right, it's the stampede that just missed. This is our favorite films that just missed the cut, but you should check out anyway. Because you know what Cowboy Keith always says, movies are fucking awesome and you should fucking watch them. I just made that up, but I'm going to trademark that. Hey, Gina! Gina! Write that down! Gina! Yes, send that to the trademark office. Movies are fucking awesome. I don't even remember what. I hope you listen back to this, Gina, and send it to the trademark office. I'm sorry about that. Who not? Gina, if I don't yell at her right away, she doesn't write anything down. So, what's some of your uh, just missed movies this year? Well, I quite like the uh, the new Star Wars film, Visions of Prophecy, the young Qui Gon Jinn story. You know, you know, I first heard about that coming up, and I just thought money grab at first, but you know. They really, you know, made a pretty damn good Star Wars film. It was much better than that Solo film that just kind of flopped down on the windowsill like a pigeon with one wing. Right, right. I think, uh, you know, the Michael Fassbender's performance was, was quite good in this. And the, the places that they went, the things that they did were, were interesting. And it was a fresh take on the, the whole Star Wars experience. I mean, my, my favorite part of it is like... <laughs> When I heard Jeff Goldblum was cast in there, I was worried that we just get space Jeff Goldblum. But then after Thor Ragnarok, I realized I wanted space Jeff Goldblum in every film. And by gamut, we got it. Right. So that was a nice little, uh, you know, we couldn't even recognize him in all the makeup, but David Tennant, master for performance. You know, for a Star Wars money grab film, it was pretty damn good. Right, yeah. I gave it a one out of two-sided lightsabers. Yeah, and I get it. Give it one and a half out of two completed Death Stars. Right. So this uh, is my just missed. This one was like a blast from the past. It was your Hollywood great. Some of them literally brought back from the dead through magic to help you, and that is Honk. Right now, we we still don't know exactly what the title of this film was. They they never put it on the posters. Because it was just impossible to tell from the honk. This is, and, and those of you who haven't seen it, I highly recommend Harpo Marx himself come back from the grave to produce this masterpiece. And he brought friends with him. Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Ingrid Bergman. But he also put a modern time. Jennifer Hudson made an appearance. It's, Have you ever had your favorite dish at your grandma's house and someone puts a fancy new ingredient on it? That's what this movie is. This is like a Virginia ham with a piece of candy pineapple from the World world Food Market or Whole Foods, whatever that place is. It's just something you don't think will work because it's got too much old and just a little bit new, but it's pretty damn fun. So what's what's one of yours that just missed there, HB? Uh, I'm also going to have to vote for uh, the cream of the crop. This is the Lin-Manuel Miranda uh, cowboy musical, the, the throwback to the singing cowboys. I got to say, the dance numbers in this film are... Some of the best that I've seen in a long time from Hollywood. You know, there's often music or, or dance numbers in, in films, particularly in those for children, but this was, you know, aimed at a, a wider audience and they, they clearly put the time and the effort in to, to get this thing right. I can't drive down Hollywood Boulevard without hearing someone blasting that soundtrack from their car or their shop or whatever. That is, you thought Hamilton was an earworm that set the fire by storm? Give Lin-Manuel a, a cowboy hat, a cast, and Christopher goddamn walking. 
everyone's watching. It was it was the number one grossing film of the year this year. It took the world by storm. And on a modest budget, the producers and the creators of that show are going to be counting money until they're dead, and then their ancestors will be counting the money. And to be honest, you know, I didn't know that Daniel Day-Lewis could feel so much joy. But actually seeing it on screen was, was quite good. But maybe that's just it. I heard to get ready for the role, he ate ice cream every day for four years to get ready for the role. And that's why he was so filled with joy. Anyone that eats that much ice cream is bound to be happy. Well, is that why he was so rotund in the film? I mean, you, you could barely tell. So, yeah, check that one out. I highly recommend I mean, why am I telling him to check it out? We know everyone saw it out there three or four times. What about you? What's next on your list? Just missed my top five. Now, this one's going to be very, very, did I say very? Controversial. This is my only other one that just missed. I like it because it's a, it's a breakdown of all the things I love. And what, what are all the things I love? That's right, ladies and gentlemen, guys and gals, things and thingamabobs, 80s action movies. You know how much Cowboy Keith loves his 80s action movies. And we're talking, of course, of Rig Rigmarole. Right, right. Now I understand this went through a lot of changes in the the production process as well. Well, it was played straight up as a serious action movie at first, and then they realized what they had on their hands. And also, they were thrown last minute. They got funding from Amazon.com himself, Jeff Bezos, and he wanted to be in the film. And you know what? Normally, I would say that that spells instant death of the film, you know, like light dressing on a salad, no-go zone, if you will. But damn, did they make it work. Like, I was watching that movie. I saw Jeff Bezos in that movie, and I thought, damn, Jeff Bezos fucks. Yeah, you know, I haven't seen this one myself. I saw the trailer, and Dulé Hill really seemed to be carrying it. But you're, you're saying that in this film, Jeff Bezos really fucks, right? No, no, like, it's it's what them uh, millennials say these days. They say if something's awesome, they say this guy fucks or this gal fucks. Something fucks is just a thing that kids say. So, like, if they say, back in the 1990s, they say Michael Jordan himself, when he was dunking on people, say, Michael Jordan fucks. I think that's how that works. But I also think it means they have relations with people as well. But not on screen. There's no sex scenes in the movie because that'd be very awkward. I don't know if anyone wants to actually watch Jeff Bezos have relations in HD on a four-foot story tall, four-story tall movie screen. Right. I don't have enough shares in Amazon to want to see that. All right. One more for you here. Uh, The one that I wanted to add to the, the table was brunch. Now, this was the uh, half-not and half-sequel uh, to The Breakfast Club uh, about the, the young gentleman trying to find his way into life after his final year in high school. The uh, adventures he goes on to get there. And this this was quite enjoyable. Uh, we had the, the young gentleman who was the Spider-Man. Tom Holland himself yes. pairing off Asa Butterfield, of all people. Right, right. And I think that, you know, the, the fun of this and the, the message was quite good. Just just a good, fun movie. You know, I, I was reticent myself when I heard they were making a sequel to Bre- Breakfast Club and calling it Brunch. Like, that sounded like 14 raccoons barfing in my breakfast, if you know what I mean. It's something they say around my parts. But, you know, they, they managed to Maybe hand it off. in your breakfast club. Yeah, exactly. HB, this is why I have him on as a guest. Sharper than a Bowie knife in a ribcage, right? Anyway, uh, also, 
I didn't think it worked, but man, he pulls off one of his best dude bro performances ever, Matthew McConaughey himself. He does what he does, but he turned it to 11 and the director made the most work. But I honestly think the reason this film works, because Tom Holland has enough charisma to fill 14 MCU movies and this piece of shit that wasn't a piece of shit. He carries this film. Tom Holland smiles on screen, and man, you almost get hard. Not because you're sexually attracted to him, but he's just that damn charismatic. But he's also a sexy man, if you know what I mean. And about half your age. You know, consent's a thing. I want to do a move on Spider-Man unless he invited me, if you know what I'm saying. Anyway, that got awkward. Tina! (laughs) Tina! Fuck off! Gina! Fuck off! What's my damn... Gina. Assistant Gina! Hey, have my agent call Tom Holland's agent. Let's see if we can get dinner, right? Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Cowboy Keith's Cinema Rodeo. We're working on the title. It's a work in progress, 72 episodes in. But you know you love it. Listeners, don't forget to support our sponsor, Hot Chocolate Media. They're doing some amazing things. Check out their website on Hot... I really have to read this copy. How much... They're only... Check out their website, hotchocolatemedia.net. Apparently, they make a bunch of crap that's amazing, and you should watch it and listen to it. But that's all we got. Hoop not, you got anything you want to plug? Well, I have been uh, hired on as a consultant for a, a new documentary that's coming out that's going to follow the, the lineage of Mr. Guy Fieri. We're going to go back in time and see some of his uh, uh, relatives and his... His uh, ancestors, if you will. So uh, it's it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, I, I heard the title. I hope you change it. But but time travel to Flavor Town just that doesn't quite roll off the tongue. I hope you work on it a little bit better. That was uh, rumored originally, but I don't think that's what they're going to go with. Mister Fieri tends to like things that are, are, are bold and flavorful, but not necessarily on that level. Like donkey sauce. Like donkey sauce. Well, anyway, folks, once again, I've been Cowboy Keith, and this is... Who not beginners. And this has been the Cinema Roundup. Roundup.